Hey, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. It's nice to see you. What have you been up to? <laughs> well, I was almost injured in a boating accident. That sounds like succession. What the hell happened? Or like a White Lotus. Are we going to talk about your well, boat now? No, Did you try to step I'm, off the big boat to get onto a smaller boat? And what kind you of boat in? do you have? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you brought it up. No, I <laughs> You could have brought up literally anything. <laughs> um, in other news, someone sent feedback that I got upset about it, actually. Someone came at Alex again. Oh, I oh really? Say who it was. Yeah, because he was upset that he didn't know who Jonah was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. And he um, was he was like, maybe he's not up for the podcast. Maybe he's not. Disqualified. Maybe not, guys. Yeah, I said, I think Alex brings an important point of view. And he said, I don't think you need the Austrian point of view. So like diminutive, great. I got some feedback too. It's actually a correction that I am not actually at all like Cousin Greg, but that Troy is very much Tom Wamsgans. That was the feedback. <laughs> it was texted me. I swear to God, I got it. <laughs> You had that low, sultry voice. Just so everybody fucking relaxes, I now know who Chelsea Peretti's brother is. I don't think we ever positioned you as a media expert, Alex. You're good at a lot of things. That's not no, you. No, you know, I just do the lesser stuff like building the platforms and making sure everything works and designing. Yeah, you wrote the, the song. It's important. You wrote the exactly. song. You designed the graphic. Exactly. I'm here for comic relief. Maybe I'm the Greg. <laughs> Classical. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a conversation about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the Rebooting newsletter and host the Rebooting Show podcast. Each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. The commanding heights of the digital economy are control of the interface. It's the interface through which the vast expanses of the tangle of data that makes up the digital economy are accessible. Think of the most powerful digital businesses, and they are, in essence, interface businesses. Google is the de facto interface for accessing information. Facebook is the de facto social interface, and TikTok is increasingly the de facto entertainment interface. Publishers long controlled the interface to their products. They could manipulate that interface for various purposes, including, much to Alex's chagrin, to insert commercial messages in the form of advertising. The shift to the web brought about a change in which publishers gave away the interface to tech companies, or more likely, tech companies took that away from them. That loss is still felt today, and I believe it is part of a recent wave of nostalgia for a return to the homepage. After all, if you lose control of the interface, you lose control of your distribution. And as Troy noted last week, that's when media businesses start to go sideways. So this week, we discuss how the interface is about to change yet again as we enter into a new era likely defined by the application of artificial intelligence. Alex walks us through the practical implications of this shift to a new interface. And Troy builds on that with his own take about how the media business will react to this change in how people interface with content. We also discuss my Lifetime Achievement Award of having Elon Musk reply to my tweet about Twitter's move to append so-called community notes to advertisements that add a fuller picture to the rosy claims and ads. I know advertisers would never exaggerate or give a biased review of the pros and cons of their products. And finally, we did consider whether Living Plus is a good product. 
If you enjoy this episode, and I hope you do, please leave a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It apparently helps people discover this podcast. And send in your feedback and comments. I'm Brian at therebooting.com. I actually want to start with you, Alex, because you were alarming me, at least. Maybe Troy, too. But this weekend, you had totally red-pilled. Troy asked you if you were high when you were talking about AI. Because <laughs> you were like going like four leaps ahead. And I think it's important to talk about this because I had a meeting with a PVA listener and a media executive this morning. And he was just going on and on about AI. And every meeting I have, people go on and on about the possibilities of it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times the conversations I have, they sort of run up against, okay, now I'm over my skis with what the reality is with the technology and where we are right now. And I got that feeling when when we were discussing this through text because you were describing the experience of comparing like hotel rooms. I was left saying, so what? So let's yeah. just go through this yeah. hotel room example because I think it's instructive where we are. And I want to nitpick this for a second. When I say yeah. in a text thread, Alex, are you high? You don't respond with, what do you mean? No, because that's a perfect, if someone was high, that's what they would say. <laughs> Over here, what we do when someone says, are you high, they spar with you. They joke around. It's all joking. It's not like I was accusing you of being high and chatting with Brian endlessly over the weekend. Oh, no, I just didn't understand the feedback. Maybe it's because I'm European. I think it's maybe important and interesting right now to kind of make the conversation a little bit narrower. So that's just why I like talking about the travel planning example. I think it's very easy to jump into the future and talk about the demise of all the white collar work. And there's a lot of value creation and destruction that's going to happen around that. But fine, I don't think that actually helps anyone really make decisions. The way I started talking about AI and showing it to people is in much clearer examples of things that used to be annoyances or maybe not even possible before. The travel example is a good one. We had these two hotel rooms and every hotel has their own fucking taxonomy, their own way of structuring the data. And we were looking at two hotel rooms that had all these different names attached to them. And it was a long list of shit. And we were trying to parse it, figure out which one we would get. And then I said, well, let me try something. And I literally copy and paste it into chat GPT saying, okay, consider this room A and consider this room B. Can you find the key differences between room A and room B? And it did in a way that was very substantial. This one's slightly larger. This one has a walk-in closet or whatever. Things that I had trouble parsing from what was there. You mean one said closet and the other said walk-in closet? The data wasn't organized in a way that was easy to compare for any human being. We would have had to kind of like try to kind of contextualize what was there. When you say we, is that the royal we or were you doing No, my wife and I looking looking at this thing. (laughs) And she is really uninterested in all this AI shit I'm excited about. But in this case, she was like, Oh, that was genuinely useful. And it went from us looking at this for a few minutes, trying to figure it out. To, okay, but you're just looking at like a website, right? Okay, yes, I'm looking at a website, okay. it, precisely. And so the way I w- would like to explain it, imagine if you will, there was a world for a long time where you could use MapQuest on the internet, but then Google Maps gets released. And you could say, well, Google Maps was, it wasn't that transformational compared to MapQuest, but Google Maps added all this real-time data, added an API to it, and created a whole new layer of tooling for the internet that allowed a whole new series of businesses to exist that couldn't be before. For example, Airbnb. Airbnb exists because of Google Maps. Uber. Uber exists because of Google Maps and whatever kind of mapping system came after that. And that because you had a tool that allowed a new contextualized layer of data to be integrated into any idea you had. And so things that would literally cost you $100 million to get to, having a map system and, and tracking stuff like that, you could come up with an idea and build something in a day. 
And what AI does is that it applies that to any type of information and any type of content. I mean, audiovisual as well, but specifically text. There are so many things that we use every day right now that can be disrupted by that. When I was booking my flights and I had a multi-leg flight, an AI could do that and return a bunch of very clear information, the hotel stuff, whatever. And to me, what this does is very quickly, users, people are going to get so used to this mode of working that the other form is going to feel archaic and it is going to happen really quickly. And what we can do today is already transformational because it changes the relationship we have with the interface. And that is huge because so much of the way the internet works is based on monetizing interface. Whether it's putting an ad, right, which is the stuff that you guys are passionate about and a lot of our listeners are passionate ads. about. We love Brian ads. Rebooting.com. Yeah, we skip forward to the ads when we watch TV. The other way is like the fact that companies, entire businesses are built around providing an interface to some sort of esoteric data. Kayak, even Google. So when we're talking about that disruption of how much of our world that we exist in, that we talk about when we talk about media, is actually like the business of interface. We provide access to this type of content and recontextualize it. And all of that has the potential to change really quickly. So while Google Maps was, here's a bunch of things that were hard to do that are much easier to do now that allows us to rethink some of these businesses. That's one thing. This is more like, oh, maybe we don't need these businesses. Yeah. Maybe these things become just generalized queries. Maybe United doesn't need their website anymore. And how does that change United business models when they try to pitch you and sell stuff? And this is Those near are really term. good points. Hey, just as we move through this, I want to make one sort of snarky offhanded comment about the AI guy, open AI guy. Um, when I pushed him on a couple of things, he said, well, we don't know where this is going to be in five years. <laughs> he said, the goal of our company is to pursue AGI. And I was surprised by him saying that. You yeah, know, keep that in AGI. the closet. What? Keep, keep what in the closet? The AGI stuff, because that's what goes to the, it's going to end humanity stuff. Just, let's just focus on like making Alex be able to wasn't. get his like fancy hotel room quicker. Yeah, he wasn't very forthcoming. I'm trying it. to give so the AGI stuff is is a rabbit hole, right? The generalized intelligence. Alex, but what what, are, what are, yeah? Can I just Thanks. pause you for a second, please? Sure. Because that was a long. I'm never given that much time in the intro to go on and on, and you made great. Points. I know that's your role. Yeah, well, we're gonna edit it down so I sound six. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. This point that you made, I think you made it in the thread that much of what we do on the internet is interface. It's interface considered broadly. It's information as interfaces such as buttons or sliders or input fields as interface. But tons of what we do, Google included, but every comparison engine, every marketplace, seamless is an interface to restaurants. Mm -hmm. Right. Airbnb was, as you pointed out, Expedia is. Certainly all of the affiliate information we get where we compare two or three or four or five products to understand how they differ. There's the side of it that's just sort of data analysis that's a huge part of it, If particularly if you're a knowledgeable consumer. Just being able to see that stuff side by side is really important. And then there's the sort of craft side of it, which is this felt good. I enjoyed using this. This was surprising. The brand is great. The product has an elegant feel to it. Yeah. So I think it's a great, great point. Anybody that occupies that interface layer should be very concerned about where this Because it's, it's how you define interface, right? Because interface can be everything. I mean, it is everything. Interface. So let's talk about it this way. It's the human computer interface. It's like the middlemen who provide access to some sort of layer of data. And within that interface, there are behaviors yeah. like using a touch screen, pressing a button, and there's frictions applied to that that allow you to 
make an upsell or put an ad or do whatever you want. And an immense amount of time is spent and attention is spent on these interfaces. And what happens when the expectation is that that no right. longer needs to be the case? But know? that's like thousands and thousands of companies. It's just about like every company in the digital economy is an interface to a bunch of unstructured data. They're going to structure the data and then present it to you. Which is why I'm freaking out, which is why I'm saying, okay, let's, let's take the Uber example. Taxis were upended by Uber because Uber decided to use Google Maps as an interface to connecting people to cars, which created that, this direct interface between them. Sure, we pay attention to all the societal stuff and the gig economy and stuff like that, but that's at the core, that's the interface that happened. And then upended the whole taxi industry. Now, if you can do that with just about anything, every business is open for competition. Yeah. It's true. Did you just start freaking out this week? You said you're freaking out. I love that. Are you freaking out? When did the freak out start? Uh, okay, let's just yeah. be, let's just be honest. Were you high? I just, <laughs> I just did this simple thing and I said, this is so great that it works. This is really profound that we can do that. And Brian, like many of the I'm people in to, my I'm life go like, hey, I said like it was it, incremental because all incremental. it did was add a step and it gave you some confidence. And I do not believe that that is quote unquote transformational. I believe that is quote unquote incremental. What I told you, you is know what? I, I want to get in the middle of this because I'll direct traffic here. Brian, do you ever freak out about things? What was the last thing you fr- freaked out about? No, I don't freak out about things. Like you mean about things like not yeah, in like the world, real, things real that are life? amazing or significant or seem to be pointing to a very different future. Have you freaked out? Are you freaking out about no, AI? I don't. No, I'm not. And mostly because I think it's really difficult. And I think this is sort of wrapped up in that's why I wanted to start with you, Alex, on this, because I think one of the problems with a lot of this AI stuff is so many different things have come out of broadly speaking Silicon Valley that have been wrapped in this freak out hype cycle that have totally not been worth it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that have totally been transformational. And there are other things that have been complete nothing burgers and have gotten the same treatment. I guess in having always in my career sort of been on the like media side, the New York side versus the Silicon Valley side, after a little while, there's a little bit of a boy who cries wolf kind of thing. Now, I believe that AI in the long run is going to be quote unquote transformational. I think in the short term, it's going to be in many cases like incremental. I freaked out last night when my... Oh, that's f- why my... That's why you were asking us about freaking out because what you no, 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 get fr- about yourself. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, didn't I freaked that. out when my interface was like half an hour late with my food. Right, I'm sure you did. Yeah, but this just added a step to your process, right? That is not transformational. No, it didn't add a step. It removed many steps of cognitive load to my process. The fact that the fucking crypto disaster happened just before that is not helping. You know what I mean? Oh, I freaked yeah. out. I freaked out about crypto. Yeah, Web3. I'm still freaking out about crypto. Troy told I me, I remember in cool. Soho, you were like, you need to take this seriously. I got like the dad lecture from Troy because I was being too dismissive of crypto. I have a hypothesis around that. The people who are like closer to the metal, as they say, they like to build stuff and find use cases, were having a really hard time with crypto. And the people who are closer to the money had a really easy time with crypto. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because they That's were like, Troy. Oh, I can see this making money. And then the people building were like, who am I? What the who fuck am I? Am I going to do with that? Maybe I am cousin Greg. Oh, well. You're the guy stuck in the middle. and Yeah, we're just trying to survive to the next day. Because I want to talk about agents. Because when I read about agents, I have not had access to any of this. I'm like, okay, that is transformational. Being able to say, I want to find a hotel in Miami for the weekend of this weekend, and it has to be on the beach, and I'm not paying any more than $500, and there can't be kids all over the pool and all these other things. And the agent will just go and accomplish this task 
Well, I and like then, kids around the pool. What's wrong with having kids around the pool? It depends on what you want. It depends on what you want. If you don't have kids, it's a little weird to want kids in the pool. <laughs> That's true. But <laughs> Even in California. The thing with agents, what I was doing manually is what an agent would do. If you know how these agents are going to be built, you can plot a really short line between now and the time where you just have agents doing that stuff. Agents are not hypothetical. We're just waiting for people to build interesting interfaces to these agents. And that's coming. That's the plugins. That's the kind of smart chat GPT based tests that people are doing. The only thing I was showing you is, hey, I can put these pieces together and recreate what an agent could do. And the output is fantastic. Now, somebody that knows how to code Python could do this and turn it into a Chrome plugin. Okay, but explain like, right like away. an agent. So, so explain the agents and what agents will be able, because to me, an agent as an interface is very profound, more profound than a chat box instead of a search box. To me, an agent is kind of a learning model powered, let's say chat GPT, we, everybody's talking about, but like a chat GPT powered agent that can go out into the internet and perform tasks on your behalf, potentially, you know, knowing your credit card or whatever. It's an automated prompt making machine, Brian. It does multiple prompts so you don't have to. An agent yeah. is someone who works and strings together multiple commands in a task ask that accomplishes something on your behalf. And has some form of API or even just browser access to the internet and systems like that. So it's so like a task rabbit, shit. but like it, it can do more than With IKEA. like a great personality. Now I'm okay. freaking out. I'm freaking out. <laughs> what, have you had bad experiences with task rabbits? Some of them are I've never hired a cool. task rabbit. Oh, really? I had a dude who came in and put together a IKEA armoire. He arrived and I was like having breakfast and I had dinner and the dude was still there. Wow. He was just surrounded. I think he stopped being a task rabbit after after that job. You know what I like to do with IKEA furniture is make it without the instructions. <laughs> then it's like a game. Yeah, get high and then just try to put together an armoire or something. Yeah, and then freak out. I like to do it. I like to do everything without back instructions. To Me too. I like to drive a boat without instructions, which is not a good idea. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Imagine what you want an agent to do today. Let me give you that exercise. Try to do it manually step by step. So the logging into the site and getting some of the data out, putting it back into the chat GPT box. This allows you to prototype essentially the flow that an agent would perform. It'll still save you time. But a lot of these steps, like me copy and pasting the thing into the chat GPT room and kind of setting up that prompt, that's all stuff that the agent could do. On top of that, you can do very focused agents that are like learning your behaviors, learning what you like. Like I said, like they might have access to your credit card or login numbers and stuff like that. But the thing is, imagine this as a, this big, what do you call it when it's like a big machine that had things fall into each other? Rube Gold, Goldberg, Rube machine. Goldberg machine? Imagine like a re, big Rube Goldberg machine. In the future, that marble will go all along by itself until the end. But right now, what you need to do is to move it one, one step to the other and you can see how it will work. And it already works. So that's why I'm very optimistic that in the next three to six months, we will have very focused businesses on that. I've gone from freaking out about the AGI stuff and the grand scheme of things, which we should still pay attention to, into thinking like, what are like specific problems that this thing can really improve? Yeah. Which is to say that, Brian, you're right about what you said in the text thread, Brian, that Alex has flipped completely. He's now very pro-AI. He's not worried about the thing over the White House that he was a few weeks ago. The, the no, he just something. wants his hotel room book for him. I like it. Yeah. I'm just trying to be productive about it at this stage. Yeah, yeah I know. I, 
I think we need to well, build stuff with it and see what happens. But let's let's I let's wanna, spin I this very much want to build. Let's the media. spin it to media. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Let's because what does this mean? Because media is, I mean, again, interface. When we're talking about it, it's very broad. I mean, media is an interface to information. It's an interface to culture. I guess it's some. Yeah, yeah. A newspaper was an interface. Yeah. Do you want me to address this one, Brian? Yeah, I want you to address it, Troy. Because I Chelsea know Chelsea Peretti's brother made an interface. Yeah, Alex, are oh. you finished? No, man. I'm gonna talk this whole episode. He's wiping his brow. <laughs> He's sweating. He's freaking out. Okay. So, okay. What did you ask me about, Brent? So I, I wrote about it a little bit this week in a very simple way. I, I tried to anyway, which is the kind of dawn of the summarize button. And the summarize button, like Alex's hotel room comparison AI thingy, is a good, simple to understand use case. So I started using it a lot. And I was using it on this artifact, which I've spoke of too many times for its utility. But basically, I could read any article. Underneath of the type size button is something called summarize, and I get three bullets back. There's too much to read, too much to consume. I have lots of interests. Now I can press the button and I can Coles. Actually, they call this in Canada Coles Notes. Here they call it Cliff Notes. I can Cliff Notes anything instantly. And I thought it was incredibly useful. And also more than that, it was more than just being a little useful button. It says something about how we're going to consume media in the future. And it basically turns anything into the format you want it to be. So we'll talk about its connection to formats in a second. Alex just mentioned that a huge swath of what we do online amounts to interface. And I think that's right. So the entire affiliate industry is interface to products. Comparison engines are interface to flights, insurance, credit cards, whatever. Seamless is interface to restaurants in your neighborhood. When we access media, I thought about this for a sec, we go to a homepage and we see a list of stories. The interface to media was often Facebook, or it could be Google. That homepage interface puts content through an editorial lens, or like a structure of some sort by category of information. So if you go to Substack, you kind of look at information through that or through a human lens. I know this person, I like this writer. Through Google, we look at information through kind of a Q&A lens. I have a problem, I'm looking for an answer. All of these require that you do a lot of work yourself. That's what Alex was complaining about. So what if that interface could do much of the work for you? It would definitely advantage people that could feed it data, people that were closer to the transaction. If you were Lufthansa and you had the data of all of the seats and flights and information and you could feed that into the interface and not require a layer on top of it, you wouldn't have to pay Expedia. The interface could do a lot of work for you more efficiently. It would also create a colossally large business for someone like an open AI. And I think it's interesting when editorial content gets compressed or summarized or point of view content. If you could have buttons, and you will have buttons, these buttons are coming. One button says summarize or distill. Another button says compare to other stuff that I've read. Another button says contextualize or provide additional sources. Another button says shop, and it tells me where to find the stuff. Or another button says review this, and it shows all the information around people, pros and cons, etc. And in the end, there's a compression of the interface layer. The middle gets really, really compressed. It really is ultimately a deep, deep, deep type of personalization that's been elusive to this point on the internet, where there was no personalization. They talked about it at the beginning. When I started on the internet, the promise was all about building deep personal profiles so that you could have a, it was that Peppers and Rogers thing or whatever, one, the one-to-one -one future was called at the time. But at the time, we couldn't, we had no mechanism for it. We didn't have enough content, we didn't have enough profile data, and we certainly didn't have the algorithm. It's a really interesting time that the format becomes your format when 
media that's too long, unless it's really, you know, suits the way you want to consume information because it channels a feeling or it tells a story or it brings an emotion, that it's just going to get compressed with the compress button. And that's another really important use case. Yeah, I think a lot of times, speaking from the sort of creator side, I hate the word creator, but from the the person who's like writing something, I'll just say, is you end up like sniffing your own farts and thinking that people want to want to be on for the journey. In reality, they really want to get something done and they want to extract a few things from what you've made. A lot of times, I think in media, you end up getting in the way. I keep going back to recipe content, right? Mm-hmm. To me, it's the perfect example of how the misplaced incentives of the internet has made everything kind of terrible. You cannot get through a recipe web page without getting bombarded not only with endless autoplay videos and affiliate links and shopping lists that I don't know who would use, but you you end up having to go through all of this backstory that you don't want. The fact that there's a jump to recipes button, it kind of tells you a little something about what's coming in the future to me. Maybe I'm alone, but I always hit the jump to recipes button. I don't care about the backstory. And I think everyone in a lot of forms of media are going to want to hit the jump to recipes button. Yeah, I use an app called Pestle, which basically you can send the article to and it just sucks up out the recipe content. Oh wait, wasn't that a controversial one? Didn't they like, they came out and then they shut it down. The guy was like all apologetic. He got a bunch of angry tweets and he was too sensitive. I, I use it daily. No, but when you think about that, that that type of compression that Alex is, I mean, it's just going to happen everywhere. That's my point. But I want to ask you this, as media people, it feels even less defensible than previous onslaughts where you could kind of defend yourself against Google just like sucking up all your information and showing it in the search results because there was at least even like some copyright reasons but when you something gets digested especially around news and articles that's fair play you can just show that for free the artifact example is interesting because they're also adding comments to it and now they have this kind of summarized thing at what point do you stop even going to the website and they don't need to pay anyone anything yeah i mean this has been going on forever that's why i highlight it it is a manifestation of something that's happened for a long time but i would argue that adding summary on top building comments in Maybe they have in their mind a a business model in the future where there's some kind of extra surface area for advertising. I don't see it. Right now, you're a publisher. You enter into that agreement because somehow you believe that your ads are carried into that experience, which they are. I mean, arguably, you still deliver ad impressions and you want to build your audience and your reach up. But in the end, it's not great for publishers. The whole whole extraction of value in the middle is not good. Shocking conclusion there. So many of these articles, the most liked comments is this site's it's full of ads. <laughs> Not with the freaking ads again. That's why I always say it's like an acceleration. Because I, I went to the Ben Smith's book launch party last mm-hmm. Thursday. The New York Times wrote about it in comparison to the time thing, which I thought was actually a clever frame. But I ran into, I actually had never met him in person. Do you know the Odd Lots, the Bloomberg podcast, Joe Wiesenthal? Wiesenthal? I know the podcast is popular. Yeah, it's really popular. And I told him, I was like, I really like your podcast. And he's like, yeah, good. Thanks, man. And he was like, wait, oh, he goes, in 2012, you wrote some really bad shit about us at Business Insider. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, he remembers a decade later. And the reason what he was remembering was I was pissed because Business Insider used to constantly take our reported content that reporters were, you know, getting sources and everything like this. And they would strip out the salacious facts and republish just the the parts that people wanted on their website. And they would have 10 times the traffic because they used to actually show how many people viewed the stories. And I noticed that they had, would get 10 times more traffic than we would. That's got 
I heard. And we did the work. And I was like, well, I'm kind of pissed about that. But I was very impressed that he saved that for a decade. Anyway, AI is going to make that every single piece of content is going to be that way, right? And if you even consider, not to stretch the analogy too much, but an article and the format of an article, I mean, we've talked about formats, that's an interface in itself. And it's structured in a specific way to fit on a page or fit around advertising. And, and I think it's important to think about what are you going to tolerate? What are people going to tolerate in the future? Because that's going to be the crucial thing here. And I think over time, people are going to tolerate the shitty ad, the shitty experience, the article above the recipe less and less and open up a lot of space for people who built interfaces that bypass those things. So if your business model is based on friction and all that type of stuff, think about it. Yeah. You know? Alex, I have good news for you. <sighs> what is it? I think we're about to build the media company of the future. Straight to the vein, no nonsense, cannot be compressed, comes at you with relevance and insight in short, compact missives. What is this, like content nuggets? This is like Kendall's pitch. Yeah, it's going to be better than Living Plus. <laughs> we already got the Living Plus later. So oh, what does why? that mean? I think for a while, media has not been able to control the interface. That I don't is. want to build the next media company through a web page, although I'll have a web page if you really need it. Definitely don't want to build it through the App Store because the App Store is a racket. I want to build it through a chat interface that everybody uses on their phone. I want to build it through how we communicate just organically in our little triumphant here, this group of us, where we naturally throw content back and forth inside of a text window. That's what I want to do. And I, and I still want to have the thoughtful kind of essay that accompanies it. And that is maybe for some and not for others. But I think there's a really interesting little model here to build. I look forward to getting Alex to build it for me. <laughs> Good to it, Alex. Yeah, yeah I just wonder like whether, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Can one... I can't tell you everything about it because you'll steal the idea. Can a publisher control the interface? I feel like that's already passed. So when, when Facebook controlled the interface to publishing content, Content. It was a bargain that a bunch of publishers made. They said, we're giving up control. We're not even really sure if we're going to be able to monetize this stuff, but the numbers are great. This is way bigger distribution than we'd ever get. The problem is yeah, the yeah. interface of Facebook ended up commoditizing each and every one of their brands. Everything looked the freaking same on Facebook. Same with Google. Every link looks the same. And that's why like, you see the most no, Ours is going to be distinguished by the content itself, not by how it looks. It's going to feel different. We're going to make the fentanyl of a media company. <laughs> That'll definitely feel different. One of the other things that came up, people were joking, like, oh, what's next in publishing? I'm like, haven't you heard? The homepage is back. And we talk about people giving up and going back to a pastoral life. There's this idea, and Jonah Peretti, Chelsea Peretti's brother, had... <laughs> come out with another one of his future of media missives, which I was like, not the time. Pump the brakes, Jonah. <laughs> this is not the time. People are not going to give this the hearing probably it deserves. But it was about the homepage. Look, I like a good homepage. I really do. I like designing a homepage and what it says about a brand and stuff like this. Homepage is not coming back. It's not. That's not going to be the interface. It's hard I mean, for me to believe that will be an interface for media. I have, until very lately, been one of those people that feels that there's space for a print magazine in people's lives. I love print. And I still keep them and I'll buy them when I go in an airport, but I realize that I never read them in my day-to-day. -day. And I think it's mostly people with vinyl record collections, but end up mostly using Spotify. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah, all that Isn't stuff the vinyl is, record business bigger now than it was pre-CD? Right, because it's a Yeah, but you're present, buying souvenirs. It's a you're souvenir. You're buying souvenirs, yeah. yeah. In video games, you can buy a 200 version of the video game 
that's the collector's edition and it comes with a bust and a box the software is a code that comes with the box <laughs> you still download it you know people like knickknacks and souvenirs and tangible curios and stuff like that and that's what magazines are today that's what the homepage is in many ways it's a curio yeah mm. now i'm freaking out Brian, what about your brush with fame? Oh, yeah. So let's go on my brush with, I don't know if it's fame. Oh, it is. You flew close to the sun. Yeah, I, I try to be even-handed, even with Elon Musk, right? Because I know like he excites a lot of passions. I don't know if you've noticed this, but they have this community notes function that bubbles up things that people have pointed out about tweets, about either correcting the record or something. They're trying to get around the heavy-handed, quote-unquote heavy-handed content moderation that had taken place in previous regimes. And and what I found very fascinating is that they're doing this, not just Elon Musk's tweets sometimes, but also to ads, basically. It was for Regal Cinema. I saw this a couple times before, but I was like, well, this is probably someone in the decimated ad department that's just getting back at Elon Musk. <laughs> because I was like, there's no way that anyone with an advertising business would take money from an advertiser and then be like, they're really stretching the truth here. And they're, <laughs> yeah, they're saying that this is a deal, but like in the fine print it is. I said it was like a truly bold move. And Elon Musk himself replied to me, which was a very interesting experience. It got my tweet viewed a couple million times. And to show the sort of complete uselessness of Twitter <laughs> as a front end to a media business, it resulted in 14 new followers, <laughs> which really wow. tells you something. But I really got yeah. to meet some interesting parts of humanity in my replies over the last several days. I think what was interesting to me about this is what I'm going to call him Elon now. I used to always be against going on a first name basis with these people, but he's tweeting with me, so it's mm. fine. You're buddies now. Yeah, no, I think we're close. What he had said to me, let me get let me get what his actual response. He said the goal is to make this platform maximum truth seeking or said another way, the least untrue compared to everything else. I thought this is interesting. First of all, the idea of getting at truth, I would think he would stay away from this because it's very, very complicated uh, what is true to one person and what is true to another person. And I think that was always the problem with the content moderation Seems stuff. to be very complicated for him to know what's true and what's not. But applying that to advertising, I mean, it is very bold. I'm actually writing about it for tomorrow because you do have this lack of trust in all sorts of different areas. But obviously with advertising, people don't trust it. And I'm wondering if this is actually a really bold way to restore some amount of trust in advertising. I mean, this would be a completely different ad experience there. I don't know if he could possibly get this by advertisers. Troy, you've sold a lot of ads in your life. Can you not comment on a Facebook ad post? No, not even on Reddit, I think. There have been efforts oh. over the years that you can like, but they always give control to the advertiser to turn stuff off. In some ways, I feel like Elon Musk is a Web 2.0 child. A lot of the things he goes back to, it was like he was cryogenically frozen at the start of Web 2.0. <laughs> and like he's just been defrosted. Alex would say advertising is a lie. I would say that you pay for the right to present a certain truth. You're positioning your product, you're presenting its benefits. You do it in a way that, yeah, naturally you're trying to sell something. That's the way the world works. Opening that up to let the community comment on it is something they do one way or the other. 
It's a question as to whether you want to be the host of that. Yeah. Like, I think it's, if you have a good product and you have, and mm -hmm. people sound off below it and they say, hey, listen, well, they missed this part. And the truth is there's constraints here in the product, which is what they did on that Regal ad. But, you know, there's always back and forth on every product. I would say that this microphone or coffee maker or whatever is a good product. And other people would say, maybe you should look at this other one. I think people do that anyway. We're just exposing, or in this case, they're just exposing that for people. I think that you probably still, unless it's egregiously false, accomplish your objective because really what you want to be doing, particularly with something like Twitter advertising, which I think leans towards awareness, is getting people to think about you. And if you get people to think about you, you're more likely to sell them something. I think it's amazing. I love it. I love Elon Musk. Oh my God. <laughs> Boy, you just sound like Bill Maher. I, hey, Bill Maher loves Elon. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my Regal God, had yeah. said, no blackout dates, no limit on how many movies you can see per day. Truly unlimited movies. And the readers had added the context, according to Regal FAQs, you have to pay a surcharge for premium format showtimes and eligible movie events. Yeah, and I would read that and I would say, duh, there's always going to be a little yeah, bit of, of fine print. And then I would still buy it. But the Elon thing, just quickly, Alex, first of all, he has a, a bit of a weird demonic laugh. His disposition when he sort of breaks into the awkward laughter is a little odd. I loved that him and What's-His-Face found themselves to be fast friends. Bill Maher. Bill Maher? Bill Maher. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they both subscribe to this, if I don't like something, it's woke <laughs> philosophy, which is really interesting. And I was actually looking into it. After I watched clips of that, I looked into this research around some cat bacteria that can make, there was a hypothesis that some cat bacteria might infect people's brain, cordyceps, you know, last oh, of yeah. us. Oh yeah, I love that stuff. And potentially might have been the start of wars in ancient times where people would just become kind of infected and much more prone to... You turn into to, Jason Collins. No, no, that's not it. That's not it, Alex. What was it's, that? it's cat lady syndrome. A cat person syndrome. And like, well, okay, it was, yes. it's that you get a bacteria in your body and basically that bacteria needs to get back to its host. So it infects your brain and makes you assemble a shit ton of cats right. that'll eventually eat you and get the right. bacteria back to the cat. Okay. So, what, so, real, so what I was. Is this a wait? Is this real? Yeah, it's real. It's terrifying. I think it happened to my neighbor. That was actually the last thing that freaked me out, finding out. About so, this. what I'm thinking is if people keep talking about a virus that very obviously doesn't exist, to the point of saying this is the biggest societal issue, could they be infected by a virus? I mean, if I was an alien trying to invade the earth and cause some sort of structural issues, I would grab half of the population and infect them with that weird mind virus. And they would all end up having blue checks, which I noticed on your comments. These are Alex's pre pre prepared comments. <laughs> <laughs> on your comments, everybody that was pro-Elon had a blue check and everybody that was anti-Elon yeah. didn't. It's an interesting. Uh, so situation. what, Alex? So what you're saying is the blue check is like the cat mind virus. It's toxic, introduced by Toxoplasma Gandhi. Well, the blue check is actually the only way we can see who the body snatchers are at this stage. That's what I'm saying. Mm. And I'm That's stating this as journalistic fact, please. <laughs> But I will say allegedly just to cover ourselves. But yeah, it's it's just interesting. I'm very confused about this feature for the advertising thing because I actually really love it. I think it's great. They should try stuff like that. But it's really hard for me to have Elon sell truth. Like it's kind of a wild I think wild truth thing. is the wrong word though. But I do think it's a very it interesting... It definitely is for Elon. <laughs> I do think it's an interesting attempt to get people to pay more attention to advertising in a way that is quote unquote native to the platform. I mean, Reddit has tried this and lots of people have tried it in general 
it runs up against advertisers just being like, no, we're very risk averse. And the last thing we need is a screenshot of our ads being corrected. Quote well, I, I always thought that advertising was you paid to be given the opportunity to lie without repercussion. Oh my God. That's not, that's, that's what I just, well, said. am I going to get fan mail again, Troy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we do good product? Let's move on to good product. Good product, my favorite segment. Good product. Well, Brian, you had suggested a good product entry this week, had you not? I did. I was aggressive this week. But I think it's like whether it's a good product or a bad product. So it's like sort of a different version of good product. And I mean, I could set night, it up. Well, last night in succession, it was oh, one of boy. those product demo. They wanted to do a product demo, sort of Apple product demo kind of shows. And so Waystar Royco was coming out with his new product called Living Plus which was hilarious. It was a very, very good episode. No spoilers or anything like that. Oh, whatever. Great. I don't Thank know you. if there's a spoiler. Nobody dies or anything. But I'm wondering, Troy, did you see the show? It did, yeah. Did you think Living Plus is a good product? I think I'd enjoy it at some point. I mean, I think that the idea... My mother lives in a place like that. I think the idea of moving the cruise line onto land, which is basically what she lives in, she doesn't leave the facility. She has, there's like a little cinema in there. They get like salmon yeah. and chicken and stuff for dinner. They have happy hours sometimes. in these places. Yeah, they, they, have, happy, really they, have, a, they have a piano in, in the main room. My mother loves to play piano. She met some other people that like piano. This one's dystopian for a couple of reasons. It's like a Disney resort there's one called golden oak which is a subdivision i think in orlando or something and there's one called story living which are both disney developments it's like that except from fox yeah. and it's like if fox had created their subdivision of sort of mega lovers it's also sort of like subscription living you just subscribe to the home and you get with it you get access to advanced screenings of their entertainment products you get the, the weirdest one you get yeah, but the the strangest one is they were going to sh- get together with some pharmaceutical companies so that that you could it the the claim would be that it extended your life, but they would partner and feed mainline you antibiotics <laughs> and stuff so you would live longer. Yeah, and the other one is the other one that I thought was really funny about the way they position Living Plus is the first benefit was security. It yeah. was sort of like you, you don't need to bring, maybe you're allowed to bring guns and stuff, but they're doing kind of heavy, heavy monitoring and there's security is a big part of the value problem. Yeah. I think the other great part about that was when Kendall was trying to get the forecast basically doubled, which I've seen this happen up close where like a top executive is going to like waterboard the finance the person. CFO, yeah. <laughs> no, to get those numbers higher. Can we just go a little higher there? One of Ken's reasons for that is we'll package up the health data and sell it to third parties. <laughs> Which is a good commentary on. No, the part I liked about that was like, you're good with this, aren't you? Like, you're good. This is achievable. And he's like, well, I I don't know. And then it was like, no, 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 we can get there. I assure you, we can get, you're good with this, right? I love that part. But I do think Living Plus is a good product in a lot of ways because retirement is going to change quite a bit. And I don't think that the way it is done right now is the way it will be around golf courses a lot of times and stuff is the way it's going to happen in the future. It's going to be much more narrower, much more niche. It's not just going to be in like Florida. There are going to be different types of experiences that are beyond you have a clubhouse, you have golf, you have pickleball. 
But I mean, I think there'll be like pickleball centric retirement communities. I think that sounds amazing. Have you heard of what? There's that one in Florida that they made a documentary on. I think it's called The Villages. Uh, oh, yeah, Villages, The Villages. Yeah. That's like infamous with, not famous, infamous depends on your political persuasion. You know, if we're talking Very about moggy. entertainment, <laughs> I just want to give a little shout out to my favorite show on television Abbott Barry. Elementary. No, it's Barry. Barry oh, is yeah. the finest show on television. It's Bill know. Hader. Writer stars in it. I think he directed many of them. Executive producer. It's a dark kind of comedy thing about an assassin or contract killer that falls in love with acting, goes to Los Angeles. It is so good. The best. 10 o'clock okay. uh, after Succession on HBO. All right, we'll check that out. So final thing, then then we'll wrap it up. Didn't prepare you guys for it. But like, Alex, Oops. what is like an AI tool you would recommend people play around with don't please don't say chat gpt oh that's a good question i actually think the summary tool in artifact and i think artifact is actually a good product is really profound in how it shows what the future looks like so for this audience i would say do download that app artifact and look at what it's doing to both try to make peace with publishers by not affecting what's happening to their website and their ads but at the same time potentially upending it and the second you move this button from within it's in the sub menu right now so you you need to do go where you change the font size to more upfront it'll have a profound impact on how people consume media on this app and i would say that's that's one that I feel is pretty interesting. Okay. The other ones are just like every single app, including Notion or this note called Reflect that I use to take notes, have AI commands built into it. So which means as I'm taking notes, I can ask it to summarize stuff. These are also pretty cool. Yeah. I'm glad that you're an, a Notion user. I would think you would be a Notion user. I have this theory that I can I, I can tell if someone's a Notion user or not. <laughs> oh, Alex loves, he loves structure. There's like two types of people in the world. He's the most structured, unstructured person you've ever met. Yeah, as you may have noticed, my brain don't work good, so I need like a lot of tools to make it feel better. But there is a know? certain type of person who's in the notion, I feel like. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. People who party. <laughs> party, yeah. <laughs> All right, Troy, how about you? All right, you parties. Do you have an AI tool? Well, Alex kind of stole my thunder. No, I don't think it's Artifact, and don't download Artifact. You don't need it. It's great. No, don't. Don't do that. I would say it's the tool I'm waiting for. I got to say to the guy at OpenAI, please get me on the plugin list because I want to be able to query Expedia from ChatGPT. That I'm looking forward to. I've been playing this week with a sort of a ChatGPT-like tool called Hugging Chat. Not to be confused with cuddle chat. No, it's hugging chat is, you know, hugging face. It's a, an open source chat oh, GPT yeah. replacement. And that's kind of cool. But uh, I use so open wait, it's an quite a open bit, source. Actually. Wait, 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 wait. It's an open source chat GPT. So it's like without the guardrails. I didn't check the guardrails uh, yeah. yet. That's no, not so the first like, thing I do it's when the I use it. Fentanyl if it's open source, you can remove the guardrails like people are doing with these oh, mid journey fun. type image generation. Oh, well, people that know, know my newsletter and will know that I like mid journey a lot. This week I did the bear as a sort of cubist thing. You saw that, Brian, right? The I Picasso did, yeah. bear. Yeah. yeah. I love mid journey. Love it. I'm getting better at it. I'm going to check out bedtimestories.ai. I was told about that this morning. That sounds like a good one. I'm going to, t I'm going to, t I'm going to have it tell me stories about ad monetization because I'm into that. Um, I would love to drift away <laughs> at night with thoughts dancing through my head of monetizing through. I think the best AI application. sponsorships. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Goldilocks banner, the one was too big, too small, and just right. Yeah. It, the best AI app is the one that Alex and I are about to build. Look forward to it. All right. Until then. 
Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is edited expertly by Vanya Arsenov, who works with Alex at Universal Entities and makes it sound great and cuts out a ton of the fillers and ums and mistakes that we have. Thank you, Vanya. Cool. Great interface episode. I was talking to OpenAI. I want to try the plugins. Same here. And we want access to the API. Yeah, I got that. Can you get me on that? Jesus Christ. Call him back. Tell him that the person that actually needs it is me. I'll work on it for you, Alex, because I've done that for ever since I met you. (laughs) 